There are Jews in the world. There are Buddhists. There are Hindus and Mormons and then there are those that follow Mohammed's but I've never been one of them. How's your faith these days, Father? So big, so absolutely huge. Do you think maybe he's compensating for something? <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah. What do we learn? I don't know, sir. I don't fucking know either. All right, y'all. I really want to get going on this because it is almost tomorrow. And I want to finish it. So, hi, how you doing? Thank you for listening. And if you've returned, thanks again. Either which way, I hope you've subscribed on Spotify or on Anchor or anywhere where you're hearing my podcast because I appreciate it. I'm finding out more and more that more people are listening to places that I don't get, like, you know, notifications that you're listening. And that really, like, gave me a big boost this week. But... That's not what we're all here about, okay? This week is connected to last week, almost like in line. This is what happens when you go straight through and try and read all the Gospels through everything. Because last week, he healed someone on the Sabbath and got yelled at by the preacher. And he was like, ah, you're a hypocrite. This week, we start off on verse 1, then skip to 7. Well, I'm going to tell you a secret. Verses 2 through 6 is Jesus healing someone else. But this time, he sees he's being watched by the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the lawyers. And so he asks them point blank, is it wrong to heal someone on the Sabbath? Is it illegal? And when they couldn't answer him, he healed the man, sent him on his way and said, dudes, if there was a kid who fell in the well or an ox, You'd rush to drag him out right then and there. So don't give me any of this BS. I'm paraphrasing, of course, but I think it's beautiful. So I think what we should do is we should stink and listen to that gospel reading because gospels are fun and that's partly what we're here for. And also because, hey, who knows? Maybe we'll get something else out of it too. What do you guys think? As always, leave me a message anywhere. Find me. I want to hear from you. But for now, I'm going to read this. We're going to read Luke chapter 14, verse 1 to set the stage. And then we're going to read verse 7 through 14. Let's hit it. On one occasion, when Jesus was going to the house of a leader of the Pharisees to eat a meal on the Sabbath, they were watching him closely. When he noticed how the guests chose the places of honor, he told them the parable. When you're invited to someone for a wedding banquet, don't go sitting at the place of honor in case someone more distinguished than you has been invited by your host. And the host who invited both of you may come to you and say, give this person your place. And then in disgrace, you would start to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down at the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may see you and say to you, friend, move up higher. 
Then you'll be honored in the presence of all those who sat at the table with you. For all who exalt themselves be humbled, and those who humble themselves be exalted. He said also to the one who invited him, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or relatives or rich neighbors, in case they may invite you in return, and you would be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. And you will be blessed, because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. That's pretty simple. There's this sci-fi about a planet that Earth is attempting to colonize. It's a harsh planet with terrible weather, hostile inhabitants. Nevertheless, Earth's best men and women were gathered into teams and sent to do the job. Expedition after expedition came home broken, beaten, and failed. Finally, a new manager was responsible for doing the colonization work, but something different happened. This new executive did not go looking for the best, the brightest, the most qualified people he could find to send to establish this colony. Instead, he went to the waterfronts, to the slums, to the darkest places on Earth, and he got together a contingent of thieves, criminals, and ne'er-do-wells, pretty much to scum of the Earth. And he sent them off to this harsh planet, and, quite remarkably, where the best and brightest had failed, the scum of the earth succeeded. Why? Well, there are several reasons, but most importantly, first, they had already learned to survive in a hostile environment, and second, they had nowhere else to go but up. And the Pharisees grumbled about the kind of people that came to hear Jesus. Those who gathered around the teacher were uneducated people with little use for the pomp and circumstance in religion. The Sadducees and the Pharisees held these exact people in contempt. They regarded the followers of Jesus as scum of the earth. They were fishermen, tax collectors, prostitutes, thieves. They particularly galled the Pharisees when Jesus said that these people of low social stature would go into the kingdom of God before they could, the religious elite. It was a bizarre teaching for many of the people who heard Jesus. Yet Jesus made it clear that this was the heart of the gospel. When you give a luncheon or dinner, he says in today's lesson, don't invite your friends or your brothers, sisters, relatives, or your rich neighbors, because if you do, they may invite you back, so you'll be repaid. But if you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed. Although they can't repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Obviously, Jesus had never been to a church growth seminar. However, one of the central tenets to the modern church growth movement has been that successful churches, like a successful business, should choose a target audience, preferably a homogeneous audience where everyone pretty much fits the exact same demographic. For example, in his best-selling book, The Purpose Driven Church, Rick Warren, the senior pastor of Saddleback Church in Southern California, writes about their target market. He writes, our target market, Saddleback Sam, he is well-educated, he likes his job, he likes where he lives, health and fitness are a high priority for him and his family, he'd rather be in a large group than a small one, he is skeptical about organized religion, he likes temp contemporary music, and he thinks he is enjoying life more than he did five years ago. 
He is self-satisfied, even smug, about his station in life. And that is the kind of person Saddleback Church is geared up to reach. And what church wouldn't want members like that? Good job, strong family, healthy, well-educated. Gather enough of those people in that demographic, and your church will be highly successful as the world terms success. To be fair, Saddleback Church is also home of the Celebrate Recovery Movement that reaches out to those who have hurts, destructive habits, and self-defeating hang-ups. But still, I have yet to meet a church growth advocate whose target audience is the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. But those are the people whom Jesus tells us to target. Those are the people Jesus himself targeted. On one occasion, he declared, I have come to seek and save that which was lost. And on another occasion, he declared, the well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick... When he stood up to preach his very first sermon, he announced his mission. He has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the release to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. It's ironic, don't you think, that this is where Jesus placed his emphasis on the poor, the blind, those who are oppressed and captive, and yet... These are the last people on earth that the average church is geared up to reach. As one author put it, church culture in North America is a mere vestige of the original Christian movement, an institutional expression of religion that is in part a civil religion and in part a club where religious people can hang out with other people whose politics, worldview, and lifestyle match theirs. That description of the church... Now, that description of the church hits the nail squarely on the thumb. Of course, we want to be around people who are like us. That's only natural. It does not make it Christian. The Reverend Bob Stump talks about camping with his family. He says that his favorite parts of camping is sitting by the fire late into the evening. It's circle of light providing a beautiful setting for a quiet conversation and warm fellowship. Most of the campers have their fires too, he notes. They sit there and have quiet conversation, warm fellowship, in their own private circles of light. Rarely do campers leave their circles and venture out into the darkness, and almost never do they venture from their own circles to invade another. Each camping group is content in its own circle of light, safe from the darkness, and secluded from outsiders in its own exclusive fellowship. What a wonderful metaphor for the average church. Content in its own circle of light, safe from the darkness, and secluded from outsiders in his own exclusive fellowship. When you give a luncheon or dinner, says the teacher, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, or your relatives, or your rich neighbors. When you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. So, what does the teacher do? saying to us in this weird teaching isn't he saying first of all that the church is not an institution in our society to exist for the benefit of his members isn't he saying that it is the one institution in our society that should not exist for the benefit of his members it's natural to want to be around people who are like us but Christ wants us to do something 
that is very unnatural. He wants us to reach out to those who may not like us, but who needs us. Larry Sarver tells about the days when he was a police officer. He notes that as an officer, he was required to respond to several traffic accidents, some of them with some very severe injuries. He noticed that the scene of those accidents, there were usually three groups of people, each with a different response towards those involved in the accident. The first group was the bystanders, the onlookers. They were curious and watched to see what happened, but had next to no active involvement. The second group, of course, are the police officers, of whom he was one. The response of the police was to investigate the cause of the accident and assign blame, and to give out an appropriate warning or punishment. The third group, of course, were paramedics. They're the people usually most welcomed by those involved. The paramedics would care less about whose fault the accident was, and they surely didn't engage in lecturing about bad driving habits. Instead, their response was to help those who were hurt. They bandaged wounds, freed trapped people, and gave words of encouragement. Three groups, notes old Larry. One is uninvolved, assigning blame and assessing damage. And one is the bandaging wounds, freeing trapped people and giving words of encouragement. How many people in every society like to be mere spectators? Their mantra is, well, I don't want to be involved. They're useless and unworthy of our consideration, so let's skip over them. The scribes and the Pharisees whom Jesus confronted saw themselves as the police, assigning blame and assessing punishment. They criticized those who violated the law of Moses and dealt out punishment where they thought it was justified. They even tried to police Jesus on numerous occasions. Notice how it begins. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat the house, eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. <laughs> I can't believe I messed that up. When Jesus went to eat the house, oh boy. But back to the lesson, he was being watched. He was being watched to catch him doing something wrong. And Jesus refuses to conform to their understanding of what is lawful. It was they who assigned him to cruel punishments on the cross. They love to be the police. Such behavior is not confined to the synagogue, of course, like last week. It carried over, unfortunately. And it happens and can happen even in the church. David Kinneman of the Barna Group reports that unchurched people often perceive that if they go to the church for help, the church will judge rather than being helped. Dan Kimball wrote a book called They Like Jesus But Not the Church. In his book, Kimball focused on the perception in today's culture by many young people that church people tend to be judgmental. Unfortunately, this critical spirit becomes a turnoff in the very attempt to reach young people for Christ. In Larry Sarver's metaphor of the spectators, police and paramedics, the scribes and Pharisees saw themselves as police, enforcers of the law. 
Jesus, however, wanted his followers to identify not with the police, but with the paramedics bandaging the wounds, freeing the captive, and giving words of encouragement to those who had no hope. The church is the one institution in our society that does not exist for the benefit of its members. Jesus was very clear on this point. We are to be his body and arms, reaching out to those in need. There's one thing we need to see, however. Reaching out is not easy. It's so much easier to be the spectator or sit on the back and pass judgment on others than it is to actually get our hands dirty, seeking to minister to the needs of others. But that's not what Jesus wants from us. Instead, he wants us to reach out to those who cannot pay us back. Pastor John Friesen tells a beautiful story about a children's worker named April McClure. April teaches a Wednesday Bible study for boys and girls at her church. And one day, a nine-year-old boy named Brandon turned up for April's class. Immediately, she could see he was a troublemaker. Within 30 seconds of entering the room, he had pulled a chair out from underneath a girl, punched another boy in the arm, and used a four-little word rarely heard at the church. Brandon's family was not a pretty one. His father was in jail for the third time. He had been abused by his mother so much that they no longer allowed her to even see him. So he was living with his paternal grandmother. She worked afternoons and evenings to keep food on the table. And the woman who provided child care for him while the grandmother worked was unavailable until 6 p.m. In addition... The principal of Brandon's grade school had heard that April's Bible study lasted until 7.30. So for at least one night a week, Brandon would not be on his own for three hours. Imagine being a children's teacher and having Brandon in your class. Imagine him constantly changing the subject to talk about things he had heard from his 20-year-old uncle about girls. Think about listening with apprehension as he told the other children stories that he heard about his father in jail. April did her best to reach out to Brandon. She set him right next to her in Bible class and let him help with passing out papers when he behaved himself. She helped him try to control his anger, to keep him from striking out at the other children. Even during the recreational times, Brandon acted up, though, hitting and pinching the other children. During the music, he goofed around and carried on conversations. During mealtime, he was an absolute terror. He threw food, spat at people, and made the other children cry. April and the other leaders did not know what to do. They secretly hoped that his grandmother would simply make other arrangements for him. And the other kids missed an occasional Wednesday, but not Brandon. He was there every single week. After about seven months of this, however, April noticed a change in Brandon. First, he started giving her a hug when he left for the evening with his babysitter. And then one day she saw him in the grocery store. He ran up to her and pulled her over to meet his grandmother, one of the cashiers. April told her pastor about this rare breakthrough, and her pastor reported the same thing had happened to her. Another woman, a substitute teacher at his school, reported that Brandon introduced her 
to the class on the day she supped like this. Mrs. Lehman goes to my church with me on Wednesday nights. And one day towards the end of the school year, the Bible study class was discussing hospitality. And the teacher asked the kids to think about the place where they felt most secure, most at home. Some of them said their bedrooms or some other place in their homes. One kid mentioned the playroom at his grandpa's house. And then it came to Brandon. And he said, man, I've lived in a million places. They all laughed and waited for him to go on. He said, do you mean the place where we feel most happy and safe? The teacher said, yes. Oh, he said matter-of-factly, that's right here in my church. That's what Jesus wants from every person in this world, rich or poor, sightless, athlete, physically disabled. He wants them to find a safe place, a secure happy place in his family. He doesn't want anyone to feel left out. I got to tell you that most churches don't really want people with problems. Why? Because people with problems sometimes cause problems. Like Brandon when he first came to April's Bible study. Yet these are the people for whom God's heart aches the most. And these are the ones whom he has called us to reach out to. So when you give a lunch or a dinner, says the teacher to his church, don't invite your friends or your brothers, sisters, relatives, or your rich neighbors. When you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and y'all be blessed. Amen. So I failed. I didn't finish it in the day I wanted to because I, I, I watched my roommate play video games. I, I'm such a nerd. Anyway, thank you for listening. If you haven't already, subscribe on Spotify or Anchor, and uh, I'll see you next week. I have no clue what the hell the lesson's going to be, but it's going to be fun. Peace.